Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast sponsored by Cordy. Want to let you know as you file in, you are in the right place. We're going to start things off in about one minute. One minute. Hello again, we welcome you to today's Safety and Health webcast sponsored by Cordy. Again, just wanna let folks know we're allowing everyone to file in. We'll be getting things going in about 30 seconds from now. Hi everyone and welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast. Look into my crystal ball, using predictive analytics to stop injuries before they happen, sponsored by Cordy. My name is Kevin Drewley. I'm an associate editor with Safety and Health Magazine and I will be moderating today's session. Thanks for joining us. We hope you all are safe and well amid the COVID-19 pandemic. In a few minutes, we'll start the presentation, but first I wanna go over some preliminary items. The views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication doesn't mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we'll conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply click the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, type your question, and click the send button. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the question and answer session to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded along to today's speaker. At the end of the webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey that will appear on a separate screen. We will let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast is archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com events. You may also receive a link in a post-event email. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speaker today is Sean Baldry. Sean is product marketing manager at Cordy and supports the organization's health and safety solutions. For nearly 20 years, he has worked in occupational safety and health with leading global corporations, servicing the construction, mining, automotive, and manufacturing sectors. Sean has worked at operational and executive levels during his career, helping teams build effective systems and safety cultures that drive organizational excellence. Sean, we thank you for being here today. Whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Thanks for the introduction. And uh, good morning, good afternoon, everyone. Glad you could make it today. So I, I guess to kick things off, uh, if you've been following the news recently, you uh, have probably heard a lot of talk or seen a lot of talk about infrastructure. And I, I would say behind probably all the political po uh, political posturing, there's a, a really a, a really big problem that we're dealing with. Um, recently, the American Society of Civil Engineers stated that it would take at least $2.6 trillion over the next decade to repair critical deficiencies in the nation's bridges, its roads, its, its highways, and even its utility grids that are currently rated on average at a C minus. 
And without that investment, a lot of experts are warning that these critical failures could cost lives. And that really brings me to the uh, picture on the left of the screen. So for those who can't place it, it shows the remains of the I-35 West Bridge in downtown Minneapolis that collapsed in August of 2007. 13 people were killed in that event, and uh, I think around 150 others were injured. And unsurprisingly, after the incident, there were immediate calls across the country for a massive reinvestment to replace aging infrastructure. And about 10 years following that bridge collapse, a federal study found that about 9% of all bridges across the U.S. were rated as structurally deficient. So that, that amounts to about 56,000 bridges nationwide that need to be repaired or replaced in the very near future, or we will risk a, another catastrophic incident like the one that we saw in, in Minnesota. So I don't know about you, but you know this information does you know give me a certain reason to to pause and worry a little bit about the next time that I have to cross a bridge. But it also it also raises a very interesting question, and that with so many bridges in such a state of disrepair across the nation, how do engineers prioritize which ones to inspect and which ones need to be fixed first to prevent the next collapse before it really happens? And believe it or not, you know, failure, visual inspections still remain the primary method that's used to monitor the health of, of infrastructure like bridges and, and dams and sewer systems. And when I read that, I thought that that's pretty crazy, isn't it? And not just because of the obvious issues with time and effort and expense that, that go into physically getting people to those assets to inspect them, but it's also because there are so many different variables that can affect the structural integrity of an asset. So, you know, relying on humans to visually assess infrastructure and predict its remaining functional life is not only time consuming, it's not only costly, but it seems to me very highly subjective and, and therefore a little bit dangerous. And it's why we've been seeing a substantial shift recently toward using predictive models to help tell us which infrastructure assets are most likely to fail and even when they might fail. So authorities can work proactively to pre prevent a, a potentially fatal outcome. And beyond data from physical inspections, engineers are now leveraging information about asset age, about structural loads, even about weather conditions to help build a more complete picture of how these factors altogether influence the, the overall structural integrity of that bridge. Um, we're even seeing engineers using optical sensors that, that can capture and assess cracks in concrete and steel girders, as well as, as acoustic sensors to, to collect real-time vibration data. And if you can think of the Tacoma Narrows Bridge, um, you know what I mean about the, the impact of vibration. The, the take-home point here is these growing data sets are allowing engineers to create more real-time predictive models that can help them determine which assets are at greatest risk and then prioritize what needs to be fixed first. So, you know, I, I think the obvious question for us to ask then is, you know, if we can use predictive analytics in this way to anticipate and respond to potentially catastrophic infrastructure failures, can we not apply the same technology and principles to predict and prevent occupational injuries? So, with that question in mind, uh, what we're going to do today is, is look at how organizations can apply predictive analytics to their safety program as another tool to support their injury prevention strategy. Now, considering how broad the topic can be, we're only going to nibble around the edges with the goal to give you a logical starting point to, uh, to see where to introduce or, or how to introduce predictive analytics into your health and safety program. So to do so, 
We'll start by looking at the factors driving interest in predictive analytics and safety, and then level set around uh, some of the basic definitions that you'll hear to build a common understanding and, and a common language around the subject. From there, we'll outline the typical components of a predictive analytics solution and discuss the, the key things that you'll need to consider to build a sustainable process that, that will continue to deliver value over time. We'll close off by reviewing some items that you'll want to think about when evaluating the, the right analytic solution for your organization. And, and obviously, at the end, we'll, we'll try to save some time for any questions that you might have. So if you do have questions throughout the, the course of the, the presentation, please send them in and we'll do our best to answer uh, as many as we can. So let's start by uh, improving our understanding around key drivers and definitions surrounding predictive analytics. But before we do so, uh, I wanted to stop there and, um, and ask you a question by, by way of an audience poll. So we have our first audience poll coming, uh, uh, coming out. Hopefully you, you'll, you'll be able to see it uh, quite soon. But that, that question is, what's driving your interest in predictive analytics and injury prevention? And you're, you're going to see a few options popping up on your screen. Uh, so please select any of the, the options that apply to you. So, you know, what we're interested in is, are, are you interested in using uh, data to advocate uh, your leadership teams for bigger EHS budgets or for additional EHS uh, resources? Are you looking to improve how you prioritize initiatives and optimize the resources that you already have? Um, maybe you're looking to leverage data to help inform your EHS or your injury prevention strategy and control some of the decision biases that, that pop up when we're trying to figure out what's going on with respect to incidents. Are you facing lower employee morale uh, or engagement because of injuries and you're looking for a way to, to boost that engagement and trust? Are you looking to satisfy external stakeholders, be they you know, regulators or investors or, or even just your surrounding community uh, that might be concerned about your injury rates? Or are you simply just looking to reduce your operating costs, your compensation, your insurance premiums associated with, uh, with events? So uh, I'll give you a final few seconds to, to consider your options. Please select any and all that, that apply to your organization. And in a moment or so, uh, we'll see what everyone says. So just a few more seconds and uh, we have some results uh, coming in. So uh, very interesting uh, results here. So uh, by way of a huge majority, 87% uh, strategy improvement. And that makes a lot of sense when you consider predictive analytics. What we're trying to understand is uh, where should we be focusing our attention? Where should we be focusing uh, our efforts? And where can we overcome, again, as I had said, that decision bias that, that uh, tends to filter into a lot of the decisions that we make. Are, are we making uh, sound solutions based on data or are we, we allowing things, you know, our, our assumptions of what's happening cloud how we're going to prioritize our efforts? So uh, that's really interesting, but also really interesting about optimizing resources and, and uh, enhancing employee engagement. So that's, that's great. Thanks everyone for participating. So with that moving forward, you know, there is certainly growing interest in the market to explore how advanced analytics, predictive analytics is changing safety. And um, I found an interesting statistic recently. So uh, Verdantix, which is a market analyst that looks at the EHS software space, it indicated recently that over 30% of the 300 corporations that they talked to last year indicated that they plan to increase spending on advanced analytics and business intelligence. 
um, in 2021, ranking higher than investments in uh, inc uh, incident management compliance, which tend to be really the drivers around um, a lot of the spend that we see in, in EHS. So, you know, with that in mind, it, it raises an interesting question. What's really driving that change? And, and I've offered a couple of ideas here that I'll go through briefly. So um, starting on the, on the right-hand side of the screen at the top, changes in regulatory enforcement. So in the US particularly, you know, we've seen the, the Biden administration sending some very clear signals with uh, both program announcements and nominations that intends to chart what I'll call a, a much more aggressive approach to regulatory safety enforcement. So it's no surprise then that businesses are looking for new strategies to both prevent injuries, but, but also you know, reduce any of the associated legal exposure that they have um, when those injuries occur. We also have the, the growth of ESG. So ESG indices, for those who, who haven't heard the term, uh, they're indices that help investors assess investment risk based on environmental, social, and governance factors. And in the context of COVID-19, safety is, is obviously now weighing much more heavily on investors' risk calculations. Um, in fact, S&P Global, which runs one of the, the major uh, ESG indices uh, worldwide, stated last year that they would um, be monitoring how the extent of safety management uh, can impact credit quality over the long term in light of COVID-19. So in, in this respect, reported injury rates that are coming out of, of ESG disclosures will likely influence investment decisions and therefore uh, businesses' access to growth capital going forward. So, so that's certainly going to influence uh, interest in, in analytics. We have changing workforce dynamics. You know, we've all seen, you know, through the course of the pandemic that it's really ushered in a fundamental change in how we all evaluate the importance of safety at work. And experts are forecasting that uh, workplace safety in light of COVID-19 will weigh more heavily on how uh, job seekers evaluate employment opportunities. And if you're vying for talent, um, that's gonna be a key consideration for your business. And then finally, and this is kind of a perennial issue, the need to reduce operating costs. The reality is, is that workplace injuries still represent one of the largest cost sinks for employers. And as the economy continues to expand, continues to recover after COVID-19, organizations are realizing that strong safety performance is critical to realize the cost structures that they need to remain competitive. So all of these factors are, are certainly driving, uh, you know, fundamental and, and, and kind of large scale market interest in, in predictive analytics. So, so let's change tack a, a little bit and, and let's talk a little bit more in depth about predictive analytics. And if you've spent any time researching predictive analytics, you'll know that it can get very confusing very quickly. So I, I thought it best that, that we start by focusing on a few definitions to ensure that we're all reading off the same playbook. But before we do so, it's important to note that an organizational, uh, organization's analytical maturity will evolve over time. You know, most organizations, I would say that the vast majority of organizations are, are likely operating in what we'll call the descriptive or diagnostic stages of, of data analytics, which is that these businesses are leveraging their data in a very limited way to really help them understand what happened and why. Um, so they can obviously learn where weaknesses exist in their programs and then take action to close those gaps. Now, when we consider this, you know, the limitation of this approach is that you have to wait for the failure to occur before you can actually take steps to addressing the, the causes that, that are contributing to it. So not very proactive. But predictive analytics, on the other hand, that's where we're involving, uh, that's where it involves applying statistical algorithms and artificial intelligence to help identify the likelihood 
uh, of a future outcome based on historical data. And the ultimate goal is really to go beyond simply knowing what happened and why, and instead um, try to get a best estimate on what will likely happen in the future, and in turn enable us to take action earlier and influence the likelihood of those outcomes. Now, as I mentioned, within the scope of predictive analytics, you've likely heard multiple terms getting thrown around and, and used frequently, and that leads to a lot of confusion, especially if, if you're like me, and, and I'm not a computer science major, so uh, I know when I was getting my head initially around, uh, around the topic, it can get quite confusing. So what I thought is, let's break down some of the most commonly used terms to, to give us a, a solid reference point for, for going forward. So the first term that we can cover is artificial intelligence. Everyone's heard this before, AI. AI simply refers to using technology to simulate human intelligence with the overall goal that we want the machine to learn, to solve complex problems, and, and in turn to guide human decision making. So Google, Amazon Alexa, Siri are all AI devices that we use every single day and everyone's accustomed to them. Uh, the next term is machine learning. So machine learning is a subset of AI that focuses on allowing a machine to automatically learn uh, from past data and experience without it being specifically programmed to do so. So I always refer to this as kind of the more sentient side of AI, uh, where the machine is learning autonomously. So if you think of Deep Blue, which was the which was IBM's AI supercomputer that was playing Gary Kasparov, the chess master, that is a perfect example of a machine learning type of solution. Next, we have uh, NLP or natural language processing. So natural language processing is a subset of machine learning that deals with how, program, uh, how uh, to program a computer to read, to decipher, and to process and analyze large amounts uh, of human language data. And we'll explain why this is important in a minute. And finally, data mining. So data mining is the process of extracting and discovering patterns in large data sets that involve the intersection of, of many of these, these particular um, uh, technologies and, and methodologies. So you can think of data mining as the action of uncovering the insights, whereas machine learning and NLP or natural language processing are the tools to do so. So your proverbial picks and, and shovels. So now that we've kind of oriented ourselves around some of the common language that we'll use, let's look at the, the typical elements that are needed for a predictive analytics program and what other things you'll need to consider in order to begin shifting your safety program toward a more predictive approach to injury prevention. And let's start by defining a typical predictive analytics program structure, after which we'll dive a little bit further into each individual element to understand how it works. So any predictive analytics program starts you know, first by defining the program objectives as well as the, the key business goals and outcomes. So what are you trying to achieve through a predictive analytics approach within the broader safety program? Next comes data collection, which involves uh, defining how you'll collect the data you'll need to create the predictive models to enable the organization to achieve those objectives. From there, we'll focus on data preparation. So we'll, we'll soon discuss this, but you'll, you'll find that not all data comes in a structure that's inherently available uh, for efficient analysis and modeling. So you know, at this stage, we'll apply different technology and techniques to transform our data into data sets that are conducive to predictive modeling. As you can imagine, data modeling stage, that involves actually feeding our data into the analytics engine to create the predictions that we'll use to inform our injury prevention strategy. 
And then once the models are created, we'll need to think about how to deliver and present them in a way that's meaningful to the end user and in a manner that can easily, you know, they can easily understand um, what they're seeing and take action. And that's what we call the user interface stage. And the final output of the process is the predictive insights that we'll use to guide the specific actions and interventions that will hopefully reduce worker exposure and lessen the potential for injuries and illness. But we need to keep in mind that the process is cyclical and it's iterative, meaning that, you know, by considering the insights that, that we get, it will help us clarify or set different objectives to change the, the data sets that we collect and even the models that we use to guide our, our prevention strategy. So in this respect, we always need to be thinking about program sustainability so we can continuously refine the process and, and allow us to arrive at better, more accurate <clears throat> and more effective predictions over time. So with that, let, let's break down each stage a little bit further to, to hopefully gain a little bit of understanding of, of both key actions and decision, po uh, decision points along, along the way. So uh, I'll start off by saying that, <clears throat> uh, that there's little uh, point in collecting and synthesizing data if you're unclear what exactly you're trying to achieve through a predictive analytics approach. So any predictive analytics program starts with identifying your program objectives. Um, you know, what specific problems are you trying to solve? You know, what outcomes are you, do you hope to achieve? Do you, you know, uh, how do these EHS objectives align to the bigger organizational objectives that you have? What resources will you need at all organizational levels to build and sustain the program over time? So defining your, your program objectives is critical because in part, it'll help you determine what types of safety data sources you'll need to feed into your data, data analytics engine. And that means you'll want to collect a variety of both leading and lagging indicators and, and safety data that help build the most comprehensive picture of organizational risk that can be considered in data modeling. And additionally, you'll also have the opportunity to fuse multiple disparate data sources and you'll be able to bring all that safety and, and non-safety data together to broaden the information that you'll use and, and help start to look at incident causation from a little bit more holistic ecosystem-wide perspective. But a word of caution here, you know, it, it's certainly enticing when you get um, a predictive analytic solution to want to throw everything into the pot all at once, you know, with, with the under, uh, you know, general understanding that, that more data is better, but that's not necessarily true. And it's often best to start small and continuously refine your data sets over time. And, and to that end, you may want to start with data from a few well-established sources first. So if you have well-established inspection programs, incident reporting programs, hazard reporting programs, those are the data sources that I would certainly recommend you start with first and then layer on additional data sets over time, you know, such as operational data, maintenance data, additional EHS data. Um, and, and taking this sequential approach limits the risk of, of not only being overwhelmed with data at the outset, but also um, creating those avoidable flaws and, and, and errors in the data model that, that can obviously impact the, the, the insights that we get at, at, the, at the output side. So the next layer in our predictive analytics program concerns data collection. And you know, to sustain and improve the value of a data model over time, you need two things. You, you know, one, you need to have a consistent flow of new data coming in, and two, that that data has to be of high quality. So let's start with data flow. 
So remember that predictive analytics applies machine learning algorithms to help the embedded AI continually learn from past events to continue to refine those assumptions and create better predictions over time, right? So this means that to have, a, you know, having a consistent flow of new data into the model is absolutely essential. So how do we create that model? How do we, how do we ensure that we get that data flow? So, you know, I, I think it's important to know that much of the safety data that we collect within our organizations that would be used for predictive modeling comes from the front line, and it comes usually in the form of task observations, of inspections of incident reports, et cetera. So making sure that your frontline workers are empowered and engaged in your safety program is absolutely critical to ensure that they'll continue to share the information about their working environment that will go into feeding that, that data flow. Unfortunately, you know, the reality is that it's not uncommon for employers to undermine their data collection efforts in, in a couple of ways. One, they, they just simply make reporting too complex. Two, they fail to take action on the things that are actually reported. And three, they react negatively to reported, event, uh, reported events, all of which discourage future reporting. So if we want a strong, consistent data feed that is going to support predictive modeling, we need to make sure that the reporting is as easy as possible. And, and the adoption of mobile uh, apps and mobile EHS solutions is a really simple and scalable way to support data gathering efforts at the front line in real time. So if your organization isn't using a mobile solution to help collect EHS data, you'll likely want to start to explore that first before going into a predictive analytics solution. And you know, when looking at a, a mobile option, remember that simplicity is key. So you'll want a solution that's intuitive, it's simple to use, and, and in fact, it's available in multiple languages because that'll help reduce a, any sort of the resistance to adoption that you might get at the front line and ensure that um, it, it's used optimally. You know, I would say, secondly, you, know, you can also support your data collection efforts through automation, um, specifically with integrating sensors, with direct reading instruments, and, and with other IoT devices in your, your overall data management solution. So with integration, we can ensure that we have that consistent, uninterrupted data feed while at the same time, eliminating any of the administrative effort of, of rehandling or rekeying data from one solution to another um, in order to, to support data modeling. So um, you may even wanna use API integrations that, that help pull data from other systems and ERPs, uh, ERPs um, to, to help you build the data sets that, that support modeling. The second key uh, to data collection outside of, of the data feed, obviously, is, is data quality. So, you know, it's important to remember that the integrity and value of your, your predictive analytics strategy is going to be ultimately determined by the accuracy, the completeness, and the validity of the, the underlying data. So, in other words, the more accurate the data that we feed into the model, the more confidence that we have with the insights that are coming out. And, and this means that in addition to ensuring a stable data feed, we also need to have a way to continuously assess the quality of the data that we're getting and address the sources of low quality data as quickly as we can. So what I've done here is I've just provided a screenshot of a solution that we employ here at Cordy called our data quality score to just explain this a little bit further. So our clients use this tool to help them continuously monitor the completeness of records that they submit into the system. And, and the solution helps highlight gaps in the data of those records, like on an incident report, for instance, that could impact the insights that are produced in the analytical model. So, you know, when building your predictive analytics program, you know, you're going to want to look for uh, these kind of exception management data quality tools that ensures that you don't have to scrub all of your data that, that's coming in, but instead focus your attention on the most concerning data sources for, for that immediate action. So um, you have confidence in, in the quality of the data that you have coming in. 
So once data is collected, that data needs to be prepared in a specific format based on the statistical algorithm or, or the data model that you select. And, and to, to be quite honest, this isn't as easy as it might as you might think. And, and that's because you know, most safety data that we collect is unstructured, meaning that it's organized in no particular manner and it, it usually occurs in, in safety in very text heavy format. So if you think of an incident report, you'll get a, an idea of what we mean by unstructured data. You know, a, a lot of free text fields where, where people can key in their, their own responses. And a lot of that doesn't really make it, um, it doesn't create the structure um, that makes it conducive for analysis. So, you know, that, and, and when we consider the, the, the volume and the velocity of the data coming in, trying to transform that data manually uh, from an unstructured to a more structured um, format that, that is, is more conducive to modeling is virtually impossible to do uh, in any sort of efficient way. And that's where natural language processing, NLP, that's where that comes in. And one of the ways that NLP prepares data for analysis is through something called topic classification. So it scans unstructured text and documents to identify specific attributes that could form the basis of comparative analysis later on. So think of it this way. So incident investigation is really about looking for clues or patterns to help explain why an event occurred, right? So for any event, there could be hundreds of specific attributes from the time of day to the weather, to a task to the worker's physical condition that could have interacted in such a way to cause the event to occur. Predictive analytics is really about trying to scan all the possible combinations of those attributes to reveal what combinations are most likely to lead to harm. And NLP is used to help fast track that identification and, and categorization of, of attributes to reveal the most concerning combinations so we can act proactively to address risk before that can, can contribute to harm. And you know, it's here where many experts you know, have, have often reported that most organizations, despite sitting on massive libraries of, of historical data, are really unable to extract the full value of the information um, based on how it's structured and how it's stored. So it, it really, for me, begs the question, if you can't use it, why are you collecting the data in the first place? And this is where tools that are in your predictive analytics program can help you really extract full data from the data that you, or full value from the data that you collect and really help inform some of the decisions that, you, that you're going to make in terms of injury prevention. So once the data is suitably prepared, it's ready to be input into the data analytics model. So what model should you choose? Um, generally, for, for most organizations that are using data, data analytics, they usually rely on one of three models. So the first is decision tree analysis. So decision trees are, uh, for lack of a better word, classification models that, that help um, look at a, at a particular variable and then divide that variable into a, a logical group of alternatives, right? Uh, you know, you can look at 80% success or, 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 you know, success versus failure as an example. And, and decision trees are, are extremely, extremely popular because they're both easy to interpret, they're easy to understand, but they're also very resistant to incomplete data. So um, they're often used if, if your data sets are incomplete or you have questions around your data quality, you might decide that a decision tree analysis uh, method is, is best for your organization. Um, there's also regression analysis that, that really allows a user to examine the relationship between two or more variables of interest and really involves understanding the influence of one or more of those independent variables on the dependent variable. So in other words, if it allows the user to say, if I changed X and Y, what would happen to Z? 
you know, from a safety perspective, you could ask, if I were to change these two attributes, how might that affect my injury rate? So, so regression analyses, and there's very, various iterations of these used very frequently, frequently in, in data analytics. And, and then finally, neural networks. Um, a neural network is, is more of a series of algorithms that are used to help recognize underlying relationships um, very much in a manner that, that our human brain works. And, and really, it's, it's, it's often used to model very extremely complex relationships or processes like in the nuclear industry, for instance. And considering now that, that our understanding of incident causation has really shifted and we know that incident causation models are very complex and they're very nonlinear, neural networks are, are becoming much more widely used, especially when we're considering how to use data analytics for, for injury causation and injury prevention. So the big takeaway here is that, you know, there are dozens of, of different models, uh, modeling techniques available. So it's best to talk to a data scientist to really understand what model would work best considering your program goals, your data sources, your data structure, and, and even the data literacy of the end users who will be receiving and, and acting on the insights. And that brings us to the user interface. So the user interface is really where rubber hits the road. So you know, it, it doesn't really matter how strong your predictive modeling outputs are if they can't be easily interpreted um, and they can't be applied by the end user to guide decision-making, then the overall value of predictive analytics is, is essentially lost. So, you know, the absolute key here is to minimize complexity. You know, select a user interface that presents modeling outputs in a format that best suits the, the needs and the data literacy of the end user. So most commercially available predictive analytic solutions, whether you buy them as standalone or incorporated in, in a, uh, an enterprise level EHS platform, can support a variety of data visualizations, um, which are normally you know, different graphical indicators on a dashboard. So here I've, I've shown an example of Cordy's. Uh, so at Cordy, we have uh, something called our core analytics solution, um, which we've developed with Click as uh, a, a tool that, that organizations can use to, to really mine additional insights out of the data and some of the data visualization features uh, that are available are shown on the left. Um, and on the right, um, I'm showing a feature that allows the users to use natural language processing to create search queries that help them pull real-time insights out of their collected data, and then they can pull that those insights into dashboards and then manipulate them as they see fit. So just like you might use um, natural language processing on, on kind of Google or Amazon Alexa to say, show me the restaurants within five-mile radius of my house, you know, these tools will allow the EHS professional to ask things like, show me all the root causes that are related to incidents occurring in this particular area or this particular region of my, my organization. And then obviously allows um, the, the, the solution to scan thousands of records and filter those insights you know, within a matter of seconds. And, and that will help obviously the organization distill those insights and then use them in, in any sort of decisions on prioritization and strategy and resource use. So let's look at a few practical examples of organizations that have applied predictive analytics as part of the injury prevention strategy. So I'll go through this quickly, but if you're not aware, there's a really great white paper that was released by the Campbell Institute in 2018 that highlighted a predictive analytics strategy employed at Owens Corning. And in the paper, it was, it was describing how Owens Corning was really challenged by how best to deploy their resources in a way 
in an efficient way, in a cost-effective way to reduce at-work injuries. And, and there's a, a line in the, the white paper that, that states, you know, that the countless reams and bytes of data that made up the company's safety records overwhelmed the team when they sought to distill insights from them. And, and I think a lot of organizations can, can really appreciate what, what we mean by this is we collect all this data, but how do we use it in, in a means that's, that's efficient that, that guides our, our incident prevention efforts? So working with an analytics consultant, they employed um, a, a predictive analytics approach and created two key metrics um, from their data models. So the first metric was incident type risk profile. And here they applied natural language processing algorithms to categorize their safety data and to identify the incidents that were most associated with uh, severe injuries or lost workdays, which allowed them to then develop initiatives targeted at those, those distinct incident types and better allocate resources in, in a direct way. So they were allocating the resources in a way that was going to most likely and most fundamentally address their incident rates that they were seeing. The, the second variable that they, uh, that they developed through this analytics approach was a site risk profile. So they, they employed a, a methodology called Bayesian multi-level model. But what they did was in looking at year-over-year -year variability um, with incident rates, um, it was really difficult to understand, you know, uh, of the number of sites that we have, which ones should we uh, are at, at greatest risk of having an event, where should we fo focus our time? So by using this, this Bayesian model, they were able to really drill into and identify those sites that had the highest risk uh, of an incident and therefore target their resources, target their prevention efforts at those sites. So it's quite an interesting read. If you have the opportunity, I would definitely recommend um, uh, this, the, this case study is, is a great one to truly understand the value of, a, of an analytics approach. And then secondly, I, I just wanted to uh, make mention that, you know, it's also relevant to consider that predictive analytics applied to other departments and other facets of the organization can still have a positive impact on safety. So there was a recent study uh, conducted by the School of Mechanical and Mining Engineering at the University of Queensland in Australia that was looking at adoption rates of predictive maintenance programs in the global mining industry. And you know, predictive maintenance uses predictive analytics to, to really detect anomalies and, and failure patterns in critical equipment to help predict asset failure, right? And, and then where the teams would use this information to guide maintenance schedules. So if you think of rotating pieces of equipment um, like conveyors that are used quite frequently in, in uh, the mining industry, one of the, the major areas of, of equipment failure on a conveyor is bearing failure. So um, organizations in, across the mining industry now are uh, using sensors that are monitoring the heats and, and, and vibrations on bearings, and that's informing and, and providing data to the maintenance team that allows them to schedule repairs much more efficiently and pre preventatively that not only reduces unscheduled downtime, but also reduces the, the injury risks that are associated with unplanned and brushed repairs. And, and the study reported that um, 3,000 people are killed in the mining industry in Asia every single year, and 80% of those are related to mechanical fa failures. So if we can use predictive analytics um, more from a maintenance side to detect where those maintenance failures occur, it will have uh, it will drastically impact our ability to reduce the, the risk of, of serious injuries and fatalities. So let's end off um, by exploring just a, a few key things that, that you know, I would recommend that you consider when evaluating the best EHS analytic solution for your business. 
So the first item that we should be considering is platform architecture. So the simplest architecture uh, for a predictive analytic solution uh, generally consists of four layers. So there's a data layer that houses all of the internal and external data that you collect and that feeds into your analytics engine. There's a data transformation layer where the collected data is extracted, it's cleansed, it's transformed with business logic into the structures that we need for analysis as we discussed earlier. There's a warehousing layer that you know, where the transformed data is stored before analysis. And then you have the end user layer, which consists of the, the actual analytical modeling features and the data visualization features. So what the business, what your business will need to determine is what layers will it require in the purchase solution? You know, are all data, you know, are all data layers needed? Or do some layers already exist in other applications, whether they be an EHS management software application or, or another application within the business? And then in that respect, you know, your business might only need a lighter analytic solution that has that end user layer that supports modeling and, and visualization. So, you know, the take home message here is it's important to get your IT team involved at this stage to really understand, you know, the, the overall structure of, of your your program infrastructure um, and really understand what you're going to need in your analytics solution because that, that will determine scale and that will obviously determine cost. The second thing you'll wanna consider is um, how you wanna visualize the analytics outputs for your end user consumption. So the methods you select to visualize your insights will depend largely on data literacy of your organization. You know, how, how useful, how, how accustomed or how comfortable are they in actually um, understanding, interpreting, and, and applying the, the insight that, that the, the analytic solution will provide. So it's important to find visualizations that are meaningful and powerful, but simple enough for your people uh, within the business to understand, depending on how far that information will be cascaded. And um, it's easier to find the right tool if you can answer a, a few uh, simple questions. So first question would be, how will, the, how will the dashboards and indicators be created? Will you need a self-service model where every user has the ability to create their own dashboards? Or will you rely on a central team like the EHS team that will create centralized dashboards that people can view and filter, but not necessarily uh, create themselves? Secondly, you'll want to ask the question of how much in-depth understanding of the data model is required. You know, some analytic solutions are, are quite simple to use. Others require much more in-depth knowledge of the actual model being used before anyone can interpret it. So you'll really need to consider that data literacy um, when, when considering what, what type of solution you're, you're going to want to, to invest in. Also, because that will impact the number of, of user licenses that you may need to purchase or, or and the overall adoption of the tool going forward. Next, you'll want to consider how the analytic solution can support your uh, your data sharing needs. So, you know, in this case, ask yourself, will you be sharing links back to the centralized dashboard for others to, to view? So embedding links in, in an email, for instance. And if so, if you know, if will this approach impact the number of licenses that, that you'll you'll have to have? Will you need to export data into reports and spreadsheets? Um, if so, what formats are available? You know, are there features to automate um, report scheduling and distribution so you can set it once and forget it and just know that um, a preset list, a distribution list, will receive reports on a recurring basis? Will you need to share dashboards and metrics on mobile solutions? Right, we we talk a lot about. Um, workforce engagement, especially at the front line. So if you want to get the front line uh, using or understanding some of the insights that are, are coming out of, of um, your data analytics program for injury prevention, 
how will you share this information mobily to, to those workers? And, and does the solution have a mobile version or does it have a responsive design that makes it available for, for mobile devices? And lastly, you'll want to consider your data security needs. So, you know, whether you're dealing with EHS data uh, or, or, or different, uh, different types of EHS data, I should say, you run the risk of unintended and uh, unauthorized access to either personally identifying information or personal health information that may be included somewhere in, in the records that you collect. So in this respect, you need to ensure that any analytics tool considered includes strong security controls to prevent sensitive data from either leaving the organization or, or you know, also including features that ensure that only persons that have the right user permissions uh, have access to that confidential data. And depending on the scope of your business, you might also need to consider whether the solution can meet specific regional data protection standards like HIPAA or, or GDPR in the EU. So to that end, um, if you're planning to provide multiple people within the organization access to the solution, ensure that the tool um, is, you know, has flexible options to configure necessary role-based security permissions that will limit what any one person can see or access depending on their specific roles that are aligned with your data protection policy. So, you know, certainly the advent of, of role-based security features is that it reduces administrative burdens since the permissions can be adjusted automatically if, if a person's user demographics change. So if a person changes their role, you don't necessarily have to go in there every single time and manually change their permissions. It will be associated with their role. And, and therefore, um, obviously you have the assurance that they're only seeing the things that they should based on, on the role and, and the type of access to, to confidential information that they should have. And, and finally, I would say that you'll want to ensure that, that the solution has other embedded security features like encryption, because that will obviously increase the level of protection of, of your sensitive data. So it's best to consider vendors in, in this respect that are certified to an international data security standard like ISO 27001 when considering what solutions to buy. And that's gonna give you a little bit more confidence that um, uh, data security measures are, are at the highest that they can be. So that really brings me to the end of, of my time today. But before we close out, I just wanted to conduct one final audience poll. So, and hopefully you'll see this coming on your screen shortly. So if you are interested to continue this conversation, if you, if you liked what you've, you've heard and you wanna learn a little bit more about EHS software, and how, it can, uh, and how uh, it can support a predictive analytics approach for safety in your organization, go ahead and click the, uh, the yes box on the screen and uh, we'll circle back with you and make sure that you have all the information that you need to have uh, to, to make a very informed decision for your business. So with that, I will hand things back over to Kevin for any questions from the audience. Well, excellent, great job, Sean. Thanks for your, your insights and expertise. Um, before we do start that Q&A, just want to remind everyone of the evaluation survey we're asking you to complete. The survey will open in a different screen after this presentation. Your input's important because it'll help us improve future webcasts. We appreciate you taking the extra time to offer feedback. Um, once again, a reminder, if you wish to ask a question of Sean, simply click the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, type your question, and click the send button. Uh, several of you have already done so, so with that we will get to the questions. Um, First one asks, uh, we don't have a data scientist on staff. How can we go about building a predictive analytics program? Yeah, great question. Um, and, and I say that with all sincerity because I'm, I'm not a data scientist myself. So I, I know that this can get uh, uh, quite confusing quite quickly. So uh, absolutely, you know, as mentioned before, um, selecting the right predictive model 
um, is going to be based a lot in your data sets and, and the type of questions that you want answered and, and some of your program objectives. So if you don't have those internal resources um, that really understand this in, in a much more in-depth fashion, it, your best option is to partner with an external consultancy that specializes in analytics. And you, know, you can certainly research these groups yourself, um, and, and there are a number of out there, and, and certainly we can recommend some for you as well. But you also might want to leverage um, and, and speak to consultants that specialize in the EHS software market. Um, because they tend to um, have those relationships and, and they might be able to fast track um, finding uh, the right data scientists or the right organization that, that has that in-depth knowledge that you need to, to really begin to design and refine the, the predictive analytics approach for you. So a couple of ideas there um, if, if you get bogged down on uh, not having the, the internal expertise. Do you have any recommendations on how to build a business case for predictive analytics for safety? Uh, yeah, I would say building your analytics case, I, I don't think it's, it's vastly different from building a business case for, for uh, I would say, any software solution. Um, so with that, I would say, um, again, you'll, you'll want to start by defining um, what problems you want solved, right? Not just broadly within the organization, but within the, the particular personas uh, that are within the business, right? So, um, for instance, how does, a, uh, how does the lack of data visibility um, in, into uh, risk or into injuries, how does that impact um, the frontline worker? How does it impact the frontline uh, supervisor in, in allowing them to achieve their goals? You know, what impact does it have broadly on workforce morale and productivity? Because that's where safety transcends um, its boundaries to, to impact other areas of the, the business. You know, how does it broadly impact resource use and prioritization? So, you know, you're going to, you want to start by broadly describing what are the problems that you're dealing with um, that you think that, you know, a predictive analytics um, approach would help you resolve, you know, from, like, and I would say, you know, in addition to that, the reason that defining those problems is important is because the people for which you're, you're solving those problems for are going to be your advocates. So if you can understand what they're dealing with, and then you can uh, very easily kind of describe that, that future state, that desired future state, where if we were to use this approach, this is how it, it'll make your life better. You're really answering that, you know, what's in it for me question. And now you're, uh, you're developing advocates for you, right? And those advocates will evangelize, you know, the value of, of predictive analytics. And, and that's going to be important when your senior leadership team is, is looking um, for different perspectives on whether this is something that they should invest in. You know, I, I would say that beyond that, you're also going to want to quantify the impact that these problems are having to your business. So this is where you're going to want to collect data on your injury rates, your operating costs, your insurance premiums. Um, if you have a history of citations and fines, that, that'll be relevant. If you have absence-related costs that are going to be relevant, because essentially what you're, you're going to want to answer is um, by means of in this investment, this is the, the, the cost that we'll be able to offset. And that's really going to help you calculate your ROI. And, and I would say you'll also want to consider um, how will predictive analytics improve the, you know, eat, you know, just general efficiency of some of your processes. So if you're um, using multiple, you know, FTEs to crunch your numbers every month uh, to be able to, to present that data to, to business leaders to, to be able to make decisions, you know, can you automate some of that process and then reduce that cost and, and allocate those resources elsewhere? So that's going to be important. And then I would say, finally, um, leverage case studies. It, 
you know, people always like to hear success stories from other organizations. So um, if, if you have access to case studies, certainly emphasize those and, and that'll help kind of bring everything together. Um, and if you can't find any case studies, again, looking for those, those consultants will we'll certainly, they have libraries of, of uh, successful projects and, and you can help leverage those to really create that compelling argument to your, to your executive team. Next one says, sometimes organizations don't take into account the expertise or the safety background, mostly in contract personnel. Uh, then asks, uh, how can an organization start promoting or be more inclusive with this group classified as contract or out of the organization and sometimes excluded from important safety issues? Yeah, yeah. So the, the question around contract, you know, and external personnel um, is, is an important one, you know, particularly because they're coming into your business, they're doing things and, and they're impacting, you know, the, the potential for, for harm and, and injuries, right? So, you know, I'll, I'll pivot a little bit on that question and say, um, the value of, of a predictive analytics solution is that it, it allows you to encompass um, uh you know, the, the, the impact or, or the risk that's associated with contracted activities just as much as internal activities. So a, again, what I would say, suggest is if you're trying to understand and you're trying to create um, an argument um, for greater attention, greater focus, greater resource um, allocation to, to manage the, the risk from contractors, you're going to want to use data. You're, you're going to want to need data. You're going to need data, I should say. So if you can, um, for instance, uh, create an analytics model that takes into in, account um, your, uh, your in injury rates from contractors and be able to present that to your leadership team and say, listen, like, look at the impact that this is having, um, both in terms of, of legalities and in terms of, of general morale and productivity, but, but just in general, you know, uh, financial, financial um, uh, re results that that's going to compel or, or that's going to allow you to create that compelling argument for, um, for addressing uh, contractors. It was interesting. I, I read something recently that um, had said that um, a lot of organizations don't like tracking contractor injuries because it will affect their, their injury rates that um, obviously are posted publicly or, or might be, um, uh, you know, the focus of, of incentives and things like that, but it's still there. So, you know, you, I would, I would argue that knowing that you have a problem with your contractors is the first step toward solving it. So I, I think there's definitely having the data to, to be able to, to deal with your contracted um, workforce is certainly important. Next question. Uh, what might be the top five leading indicators to monitor or work with to stop injuries? Uh, great question. I, I would say it's going to be largely dependent on, on the organization and what you do, right? Um, and so, so I would say it's going to be dependent on what you do, your your organizational EHS maturity, um, you know, and and you know what's been influencing your um, your injury rates, right? Like I, I would say that you know I know that lag and gears get a bad rap because you know everybody recognizes that we we re probably rely on them too heavily, um, but they do tell a story. They tell a story of of the things that are potentially going wrong. So. I don't know, I, I, I'm not sure I can answer that question, but I would say is if you're trying to figure out what are the right leading indicators for you, start with looking at your incidents and understanding um, what's contributing to your incidents. And if you find through Rukel's analysis, for example, that um, you have a gap in terms of, of you know, risk awareness or risk competence or, or skills, 
then that's going to suggest to you that you have a training issue and and perhaps then you should be looking at a leading indicator for training if um if it has something to do with um uh, structural integrity, for lack of a better term, or or some sort of mechanical uh, aspect of your business, then maybe it's maybe it's a, an inspection program, and you'll want to um, put your attention around. You know, are we completing enough inspections? Are we are we inspecting on time? Or, or I would argue, probably more importantly, what are we doing about the things that we find? Um, we can ex inspect all we want, but if we're not doing anything, we're not really helping ourselves. So. Um, I would suggest that I would say look at uh, back at your your lagging indicators and try to find a couple that work best for you. There's a lot of um, uh, industry associations that um, can kind of narrow down the list for you if if you're in a particular industry. So I would say you, you can certainly leverage those as well. Do you have experience of enterprise uh, resource management systems and safety analytics systems working together? Uh, I don't have any specific, uh, so, so full disclosure, I don't have any specific um, uh, case studies or use cases that I can tell you other than say, um, there are a number of organizations that tie their ERP solutions to um, safety solutions, uh, like EHS software platforms and analytics platforms um, uh, to use, right? So if, if you're using SAP as an example, and um, you can associate SAP, with uh, with any sort of, of enterprise level EHS platform or any sort of um, uh, commercial commercially available analytic solution. So I, I, I you know in, in my experience you know there's there's Click there's Tableau there's Power BI those have all been integrated with with ERP. So I, I think you know going back to what we had talked about before with with the advent of APIs. Um, there's certainly the, the opportunity to link all of these different solutions together. Um, what I would caution it again, if you're starting off with, with an analytics platform, start small, start with you know small number of data sets. I would probably start with, with your EHS data exclusively. And then as it becomes refined, you, you become more mature as an organization with, with analytics, then start to look um, at you know, some of the other opportunities by linking it to your, your ERP solution. But, you know, in, in truth, there's a lot of value to that. If, if you can, um, you know, make relationships or identify relationships between, you know, your maintenance activities and your safety, then that's definitely something to explore. I would just say, be, be cautious how much you, you bite off at the outset. Well, thank you very much, Sean. Uh, unfortunately, we've run out of time today. Sorry that we didn't get to everyone's questions, but all today's unanswered questions will be forwarded on to our speaker. Uh, once again, we hope you take the time to fill out the evaluation survey and provide us your feedback. Again, we, we do appreciate that in evaluating future webcasts. With that, we end today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. I'd like to thank Sean Baldry, everyone at Cordy, and all of you who listened in. Thanks and have a great day.